1: Good afternoon and welcome. I know it's Federal Budget Day and we'll get to that, but first, here is something that's ruffling feathers at City Hall. Ain't nobody here but us chickens. Ain't nobody here at all. So calm yourself and stop that fuss. Counselors are set to vote on whether to allow backyard hens everywhere in the city. A pilot project has been running for three years in four neighborhoods, and city staff are recommending that it be expanded and made permanent, citing access to fresh local eggs, educational opportunities for kids, and mental health benefits. But this is coming at a time when a highly pathogenic avian flu is spreading through North America and it's been detected in five regions of the province, including among backyard flocks. So, what do you think? The numbers to call 416 360 0740, toll free 1 866 4740. 740. And now I'd like to welcome Deputy Mayor Michael Thompson, Councillor for Scarborough Centre, Ward 21. Michelle Nolden, an actor who wrote and directed a series called Free Rage Children that follows her family as they figure out how to become backyard chicken farmers. And Sarah Doucette, a former city councillor and three-year participant in the pilot program of Backyard Chicken Farming. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Libby. Nice to be back with you. Nice nice to be back with you, Sarah. Let's begin with uh, Councillor Thompson. So where is this thing at in terms of procedure?
2: Uh, Libby, good afternoon. And Council has uh, just voted on the matter. They have voted to continue the pilot. In fact, to add three additional areas, um, wards 9, 10, and 11, but to refer the matter back to staff for further discussion, further consultation.
1: Okay, so basically it has been delayed.
2: The council has not approved a citywide program.
1: Okay, well, uh, at uh, what had been on the table was making it permanent and expanding it to the whole city. Uh, so uh, let's get some reaction first, Sarah. You've kept uh, the... the Hence, for three years, you like it. What's your reaction to this?
3: Um, I obviously was in favor of a permanent program going citywide. That, uh, the report came last year, and it was extended by one year. So actually, we've had a pilot for four years now. So yes, I've been involved for three years. Um, it's difficult. We've got reports of this avian flu, and we have to take that seriously. So I do support staff coming back in January to, to talk about this. Now the citywide was never going to happen until April of next year. Right. So hopefully by next year we will have. I, am I not? I'm not. You know, an expert. The regular avian flu coming through, which isn't as contagious, isn't as. Um, you know, strong, the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Um, and city staff will once again say, we support, public health is involved. Um, a lot of organizations are involved with making the decision. Um, and hopefully in January, they can say, yep, we're good. We can still go citywide. And we can start that again for April 2023.
1: Michelle Nolden, uh, are you disappointed? Uh well I mean I'm I'm hugely
4: in favor of backyard chickens for sure but you know I think it's maybe not a bad thing because it allows maybe a bit more preparation you know having backyard chickens is a responsibility for sure and I think that one of the things that it can do is to make sure that there are some regulations in place and to make sure that that the hens are taken care of and that people are, are keeping backyard chickens responsibly. Because, you know, avian flu is something that you have to worry about, but there's lots of other things that you have to worry about with chickens too, and being a responsible pet owner is is crucial. Uh,
1: tell us a little bit about uh, your experience. Uh, why are you so in favor of, of keeping the hens?
4: Well, I mean, to be quite honest, I knew nothing about chickens other than that, you know, I enjoyed eating them. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know my family and I moved outside of the out of the Toronto area as many people did right just before COVID and we sort of inherited these four hens and they were literally like life-changing for us they were I have three boys and they were they just became like part of our family like they were they really became like pets they've they've got little personalities they're very social and the benefits of keeping them aside from the beautiful eggs that you get and is, is is just tremendous. I've learned so much from them. And I think on a larger level, just in terms of, of food security and and for the kids to understand where our meat comes from. You know, mm-hmm. when we were living in the city, we were very, very removed from that. You know, your your cows are beef, your chicken is poultry. Um, and I think to make that direct connection, when you're sitting down to eat your, your chicken dinner, you think, you think differently. You think that this this is an animal that's given its life, and so I think the education part of it is
1: is huge, huge for kids. Sarah, you cited some mental health benefits from keeping your hands. Yes. Yeah, so
3: as you know, Libby, I left City Hall as a City Council at the end of 2018. Um, it was a decision I made, but it was a very difficult decision. It was it changed my life. So in 2019, we got involved with the chicken uh, backyard program. And we used rent the chicken. Yes, you can rent chickens. Uh, The chickens arrive in May with a coop, all the food you need. And you know what was great? We had so much support. They educate you about how to keep chickens. As Michelle says, you know, you don't just put them out in your backyard and leave them. They are a pet. They are, you need to be responsible. And then at the end of October, they come and they take the chickens away to overwinter them. We got the same chickens the second year. But what I find How could found, you tell? Oh, they banned them. They oh, okay. put a band on them. Good question. They paint their toenails. No no, no. They put a band on them. Um, and yes, sitting in the garden while I was writing resumes and looking for work, the chickens would be running around, sitting underneath my, my chair, sitting on my lap. Um, they just have that calming effect. Sitting on, on your lap? Yeah, mine became lap chicken thanks to my husband. <laughs> um, they walk up your leg and sit on your lap and look at you. They they, they got as Michelle says, they got characters. They they welcome you with a particular call when you go into the garden. It's more of a warble than a call. Um so <laughs> this is how I have helped. It's helped me and through COVID, when we couldn't go anywhere. We used our back. We fortunately do have a back garden. We used it a lot. The chickens are out in the garden with us. So very calming, very relaxing, beautiful eggs, and that little bit of compost which helps my vegetables grow.
1: Uh, Councillor Thompson, what are your concerns? I'm sure that both Michelle and Sarah are extremely responsible henkeepers, yeah. yeah. uh, but what are your concerns if this goes citywide?
2: Thank you very much for that, um, Libby. And, and certainly, um, you know, former counselor, my former colleague, counselor said I have great respect for her and I've heard Michelle's comments as one. Some of the things that we have to look at additionally in terms of making decisions like this, we have to look at the cost, for example. We've like, if you look at the numbers of staff has actually put forward as part of the report, it indicates that, you know, the cost would be about $300,000. I, we do think that it will be additional to that. Um, When we look at the um, registration fees, it's approximately, based on the staff numbers, it's approximately $49,000 that would be recovered from the program. So it, it appears that the city would be required to subsidize the program going forward. The staff is unclear where those fundings are going to come from. We have huge challenges now with respect to enforcing our bylaws, so additional bylaw enforcement officers would be required to be hired, and whether or not that would be sufficient, it's it it, it, it it's, it's unclear. Um, obviously, we know that the when they talk about the sort of rules and distancing from you know your neighbor's backyard, we know that chickens uh, an average chicken produces. Uh, 45 pounds of feces annually and so on. We know that it attracts flies. We know that we're having issues with a variety of different vermins in, in the city. There are challenges and so we have to look at those things. I appreciate the comment about mental health. I appreciate the knowledge about education and sharing and so on and so forth. But we have to go beyond that as city councillors in terms of making decisions, and that's part of what we're trying to do in order to get the facts and to look at the cost of the city. So those are some of the concerns that I have and many other members of council
1: have let, as well. Let me ask you, so what are the costs? I mean, presumably, don't the people pay for their own chickens?
2: Well, no, uh, the cost to for the city to run a program. Uh, Michelle indicated that she's, I guess, she's in a, a rural area in the countryside. I don't believe that there's a, there's a cost of registration in the city, the program, to set up the mechanism to, to run and operate the program. We've been told by staff that it will cost in excess of $300,000. We're also told that the fourteen the numbers, for example, it's about fourteen hundred people, they're estimating would actually take to, you know, take on this program or register. That would bring about forty-nine thousand dollars annually. If we just do the basic math, that it's going to cost three hundred thousand to have three bylaw enforcement officers. That's a negative position for the city of two hundred and fifty-one thousand dollars not sure why we would want to be subsidizing a program, no matter how nice it is, no matter what the impact is in terms of food security, education, and so on. So those are some of the facts that we've had to look at, and those are some things. And, of course, you've talked about avian flu, influenza, and so on. Those are concerns that we have. So we are going to look at that. We're going to bring this back. We're going to have more conversations. More people will provide their input, and we'll make a decision at a later
1: date. Sarah, what are you doing to prevent avian flu. I mean, I know that even the Toronto Zoo has shut down its aviaries at the moment. So, the,
3: exactly. The Toronto Zoo has shut down because they have the public walking through and not, no disrespect for the public, but the zoo doesn't know where they've been. <laughs> I know, sorry, I know exactly who will walk into my back garden to see my chickens, and if I have anyone who has other chickens or has been to a farm recently, to be honest, I won't let them into my back garden. Um, my run and my coop are predator-proof. They are also uh, have bars, which does actually prevent any wild bird from going in. Uh, we're washing our tools more. Um, my chickens actually in the summer love to jump up onto the bird baths we have in our garden for the wild birds. I will be preventing that because I don't want our chickens interacting with wild birds. Um, in the reports we've been given, you know, the that, that flu is out there every year but it's more susceptible to um, wild birds such as geese, ducks, and shorebirds. I have none of those coming into my garden because of my location. So I think that I will also compliment city staff for sending some amazing, good uh, information on how, as a chicken owner, I can protect my chicken. I think that's also why I actually wanted this to go citywide because I registered my chickens. I get this information from a city, if you have illegal chickens and you're not registered, you're not getting this useful information from the city as to how to protect your birds and yourself. So another reason to go citywide and encourage the people who have chickens to register, and then they would get all this information, which could change year by year.
1: Uh, Sarah, just I want to take a, a call from a listener, but just how, how much time do you spend dealing with the chickens?
3: Uh, in the mornings, depending. So I go out and I clean the coop. I clean out the nesting boxes before I go to work. I top up their water. I make sure they've got food. Uh, we treated ourselves to the electronic door. So that comes, it's a photo done by the, by the light. That opens up and allows them into, again, a protected run. Um, once that's done, I then, one of us, even my husband or myself, will go back during the day to remove the eggs because our ladies lay a little bit after I've gone to work. That's all you actually have to do. Uh, you clean out your coop as necessary. But when we are in the back garden, our chickens can be out, you know, eight hours running around my garden if we are there with them. So you do have to clean, make uh, sure they've got food and water, so and how, remove the eggs. how long does it take? Oh, maybe, maybe 10 minutes in the morning. Oh. I, it usually takes me fifteen, twenty minutes because I let them run around a little bit before I put them back in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. I let's, only have two chickens. I do only have two chickens, though, so they they don't make as much mess.
1: Okay, <laughs> let's uh, let's take a call from John in Brampton. Hi, John. Hi, sweetie. How are you? Fine. How are you? Not bad. Yeah. Concerning the
5: backyard farm and chicken, um, it, it's not a bad idea, but it. It could come with consequences, which I know many of us may not be thinking about. Because when you're chicken, chicken, uh, the, the the chicken have what you call from the feed, the, the peace and everything. It have a smell, which it, it attract raccoon, uh, squirrel, it attract uh, rats, it attract flies, it, it attract a lot of other reptiles, maybe you don't know where, where they're hiding, but when they get those smell, to be honest, I'm telling you,
6: it 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 encourages all those those
2: sorts of uh, obstacles.
1: Uh, John, thanks for your call. That's you very well. good, and Libby.
2: Can I just point? add to that? Uh, those uh, are some of the things that we have found. He is actually very correct with yes. respect to the commentary. There's also another thing: the noise that are produced by the hand. And by the way, may I say this, Libby? If we had 1,400 Sarah Doucettes raising chickens in the city of Toronto, <laughs> even with respect to the cost, I think that we would say, hey, that, you know, if, you know, 1,400 Sarah Doucettes are going to do the right thing. The challenge we have with every, you know, policy and every bylaws and rules that we have, um, that's not the case, regrettably. And, and, you know, I, I don't think uh, I have a concern with respect to uh, Sarah Dusset, but I do have a concern with a lot of other folks who, you know, tend not to follow the rules as they are. And and it does cause problems. We've also had neighbors who have come to us and have explained to us that as part of the pilot the, the challenges that they've had with the odor, the smell, the flies, even their own young kids not being able to really enjoy their own personal backyards. The city talks about our bylaw enforcement officers talk about, you know, the setbacks that's required. We're still not even clear as to what that is. So those are some of the clarity that we need to have in place before we actually put or impose the bylaw Citywide, that we know uh, has challenges.
1: Okay, uh, well, uh, uh, you know, I want to add to what our caller just said. So, never mind the animals he mentioned. I can tell you that in our backyard, uh, and we're in one of the pilot areas, we have foxes and coyotes. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure uh, they would be delighted <laughs> with backyard chickens. But, Libby, that's why this, we are coop and our runs are predator proof.
3: That is why the city has the most stringent rules going forward where you have to have had education. You have to go through a program to understand how to look after your your chickens correctly. When we set up this pilot program in 2018, the councillors who set up this program, our top priority was the health and welfare of the hens. We are responsible for their safety and their health. Since then, the report which has just come to the committee, which uh, Councillor Thompson is the chair of, has even more stringent rules. Now they are insisting the bylaw officer will come and inspect your coop before you can have chicken. So all these things are being taken into consideration. I will just also add, I would say that dogs are far louder than chickens. Mine may clack for five minutes in the morning when she's laying an egg. I agree, she does. My neighbors think it's lovely, actually. But I've had neighborhood dogs who bark all kinds of day and night. And again, if the owner doesn't clean up after that dog, it smells. You get flies, you get rats, you get other things. So chicken another pet. And I think Michelle would agree with me. We do have to have rules and regulations. I support what the city is doing. Okay, the fee may be a bit high, but it's a cost recovery. And also just quickly on those three bylaw officers, The the city has said, Mr. Carlton, sorry, Mr. Grant has said that they would bring them on depending on how many people register to have chickens. They're not going to bring all three at the same time at once. They'll bring them on as needed. And there's nothing to say that bylaw officer can't go and help someone who has coyote problems or raccoon problems. I don't believe they are specifically
1: I have going to I be have never seen temulated. a bylaw officer help with a coyote <laughs> or a raccoon problem. Uh if, if that's a possibility, that's very if, good news. If is well and the raccoon, thing is is I mean yes, we
4: have out. coyotes and raccoons everywhere, all around us. We have every predator that you can imagine <laughs> we have. And we again like Sarah said, we take care of the chickens. It's our responsibility to put them in the coop at night. It's our responsibility mm-hmm. to keep them safe. So if I leave for the day, I don't just leave them wandering. I put them in. So the same way that I would worry about a cat or a dog or anything else, I, I take care of my chickens. and And it's the same with with the mess, with all of that stuff. you, you have to clean up after it. I mean, our, you can have a dog like, say, that's gonna bark all day. And your chickens don't. Now, rooster, that's different.
1: <laughs> roosters are, nobody is talking about roosters here. No. Councillor Thompson, how big a problem uh, are illegal chickens?
2: That's a really good question, um, <laughs> Lizzie. Um, we think that there are some challenges um, across the city, and that's the reason why the additional three um um areas have been added to the pilot because those counselors indicate that they're people with illegal chickens and so on. We don't know the extent of it, but it is something that we have to be very mindful. We do get calls from time to time from neighbors complaining about people with backyard chickens and we do try to respond. I don't think we respond adequately. But it is a challenge. Look, at the end of the day, we want to be a city where we can try new experiments and do creative and interesting things to address issues around mental health and other, you know, education and things of that sort. But I think it's really important for us to have the facts and have the details in order for us to make the appropriate decisions. And as I've indicated earlier, there are no rules that we have imposed in the city that everybody follows in the way that it should, and we want to obviously ensure that if we are putting rules in place, people will, in fact, adhere to them. Um, you know, there are challenges, and what we want to do with respect to this program, the intent of the motions that I passed, the move of the committee, which was passed by the committee members, is to do the necessary work. Through the pandemic, we've had challenges, and as much as, you know, it's been four years, I don't think the chicken and uh, pilot was a top priority in many instances, because we had so many other issues that we were working on. So I don't think it was given obviously the due process that it, it, it required. And so it's, we're going to take the time and it doesn't, you know, negate the timeline that's been established. We're still going to deal with the matter in 2023. 20, uh, we were not going to implement the, the uh, you know, the decision uh, and, and to approve it today. And then, you know, next week, the program would be in place. That's not the case. It would come in effect is sometime in 2023, if it does come in effect at all.
1: And, uh, Councillor Thompson what are the uh, additional three areas where they're going to be allowed So there are um three wards wards 9 10 and 11 in the downtown core because as those Which is exactly where Could you just give us an idea from street names where that is? Uh,
2: uh, Well, so I'll just tell you the councillors who are involved. So it's Councillor Layton, Councillor Bilal, and um, uh, there is uh, Councillor Bradford, whose area is part of the pilot. There's an area that he just wants to expand. So on the Danforth and the downtown and over in the college uh, street area
3: okay could, could I just mm-hmm. add also that uh, Councillor Perks has also come on board because right now only half of his ward, which was my old ward, is allowed he I believe has also expanded that the rest of his ward can now have legal chickens mm-hmm. yes
2: but that was that was part of what was done at committee, so this was just yep. done today of just speaking to the three that was done today
1: hmm uh- Thank you michelle I just do you see this as a, an example of a city hall being resistant to new ideas
4: uh no i don't I, I think that these are legitimate concerns and i and i do i do agree that you know the the welfare of the hens is is uh paramount to everybody right that's everybody's main concern um and and all of the things that that it it provides all the education the mental health all of those things are great but we do have to make sure that we do it properly and if that takes a little bit more time to get there um then then that's important as long as we get there
1: (laughs) okay uh and uh sarah du what would you like to leave us with oh chickens roll the eggs
3: are amazing um They are an educational part, and I do want to thank Councillor Thompson, and I want to thank all the staff who've worked their way through this program since 2018, and I hope that we will get beyond these just certain areas of award and have good bylaws that are strict enough to protect the hens and chickens and the neighbours.
1: Okay. On that note, uh, I think that uh, we have written the book on the hen program. But
2: maybe <laughs> yes. Maybe. Can I just say that sure. I'm about to have lunch, and I have two eggs that I made this morning for breakfast, which I didn't get to. I'm going to have them for lunch, and some prunes <laughs> and orange and apples. So, um, yeah, you know, celebrate chicken, celebrate eggs. It just have to do it properly in order for the best interest of. Are Not they only local for eggs, the birds, Michael? By the way, but also for the for the citizens as well.
1: Are they local <laughs> eggs you're having? Uh, Well,
2: Mm. I bought them in the store, which they were plentiful.
1: Okay. (laughs) well, Just make sure they're from Happy Hens. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye, all of you, you. and uh, thank you. And we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about the federal budget, which comes down at 4 o'clock today. Uh, Is there anything in it for you? We'll find out.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Oh, no. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. It is budget day, the first after the Liberal NDP pact. And in addition to what we expect from dental and pharmacare programs, uh, we have seen leaked reports suggesting that housing will be the centerpiece and the biggest ticket item with about $10 billion worth of spending attached to us. What we are not expecting is spending restraint. So what do you think? Does that fill the bill for you? 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 Seven forty 740, for 740. And right now, let's bring in John McCutishan, conservative activist and political consultant, president of Bradgate Research, Bob Richardson, a liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations, and Tom Park, an columnist commentator who has worked for the NDP. Welcome. Thanks, everyone, for joining us.
6: Good afternoon to be there. After
1: Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, I have seen some fairly eye-popping estimates of how much the pact is adding to the budget. Bob, uh, do you see that as a significant number? Uh, I think it is going
6: to be a big budget today, an activist budget. Um, um, If you're putting billions into housing, if you're um, if you're significantly in- increasing our defense contribution, if you're beginning to put in place both dental and farmer pharma- farmer care, which are uh, proposals that are agreed upon by the NDP and the Liberals in their supply and confidence agreement, uh, if you're continuing to do stuff on climate uh, change. And, you know, we have uh, 10 signed uh, agreements on uh, the national daycare program. So that's a whopping lot of spending there. i um, they're all good things, and I think they help move things forward. but uh, I hope we do have some fiscal guardrails around uh, this. I hope we uh, have a reasonable debt to GDP ratio and uh, and I think this has also helped a little by uh, by the growth in revenues uh, with the economy coming back and with uh, with the uh, growth in revenues around uh, natural resources. so I think it's going to be a big one. Let's hope it's a big one and a responsible one at the same time.
1: Hmm. Uh, Tom Parkin, uh, according to a Scotiabank report, the, the pact will add, well, it's, it's a pretty big margin, between 15 and $40 billion over the life of the agreement. Is that in line with what the NDP is expecting?
7: Well, the biggest the biggest change that is actually being discussed is a $20 billion to $25 billion increase in defense budget, uh, which really dwarfs the kind of amounts that are being talked about to help people uh, get uh, their medicines for free, to make uh, it more affordable to go to the, to the dentist, to make it more affordable to find uh, a place to live. Um, the dentistry program, for, exa- for example, is uh, estimated by the Parliamentary Budget Office to be a cost of under- one billion dollars a year, so one billion dollars to fix Canadians' teeth uh, for free, uh, everybody under ninety thousand dollars income, or twenty to twenty-five billion dollars every year because of a NATO commitment. I, I just, I'm not against, um, it, you know, if people want to Canadians want to spend more, and this government wants to spend more uh, for NATO, I'm not going to get in the way of that. But I think it's important when we talk about this issue to really put it in perspective of how much great value we're getting. Because what this means is we're making things life more affordable for people, Libby.
1: Yeah, uh,
7: pe- people who couldn't afford to go to the dentist, people who can't afford their medications, uh, it means that, that, that people's lives
1: will be improved. Uh, let's get to uh, John. First of all, that's not the number that I saw for increased military spending. The number yeah, I saw was $8 billion, and it would only take us to 1.5%
7: the, of GDP. Uh, but, Yeah, but Libby, the Parliamentary Budget Office said that to take us to 2% of GDP, which the Liberals and the Conservatives have both endorsed, the Parliamentary Budget Office says $20 to $25 billion each and
8: every year. John,
1: let's hear from you. Yeah,
8: it's going to be a fascinating day, because I think what we're going to see is record spending and half measures and virtue signaling taken to historic levels. And at the end of the day, I think what you're going to see is Tom and others be very upset that they thought they they signed the deal to uh, you know bring rainbows at the end of sunny days. And what they're going to find is that uh, not only will the numbers be lacking when they're all totaled up, but so many promises are going to be made that uh, almost everybody's going to have something to grumble about despite the record spending. And, and worst of that is the fact that... Um, you've got to look at two things. It doesn't matter whether it's the, you know, the uh, unfulfilled promises to NATO, whether it's going to be the half measure promises to the NDP uh, on all the things they promised to get their deal or, you know, housing, Uh, even if they, budget uh the record of this government has been great for budgeting things but not actually implementing them they've been completely incompetent and the pandemic has hit the fact that they've been terrible about spending the money that they've said that they've committed to so when we talk about something like housing which i think is great that they've put out there to to uh you know again smoke and mirrors and have us talk about that rather than all the other deficiencies of the budget what you're going to find is exactly when are these houses going to be built to alleviate the, the housing market? And the answer is going to be not for three to five years. So no time soon.
1: Uh, Bob, how do you respond to that? And uh, what do you think the rationale for targeting housing is that targeting a demographic?
6: Uh, I think targeting a problem, number one, I mean, quite frankly, housing is becoming out of reach in huge chunks of this country. The greater Toronto area is a perfect example of that. So we've got to fix that problem and we've got, and I think it'll take a multiple uh, number of approaches to do uh, do that. Not just one, this may be, end up being one piece of the uh, the puzzle. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think this era, era for the next two to three years, um, could be a very productive period for government, Uh, productive uh, like the Pearson government was in the uh, in the late 60s and like the Trudeau government was in in the early 70s. Uh, We have a a roadmap with the with the New Democratic Party on on uh, on a number of programs. And, you know, if we fulfill it, uh, the way things got fulfilled, for instance, at Queen's Park between 1985 and 87, one of the most productive governments in Ontario history. I think this can be a, a good period of time, um, as, per, as uh, John said. You know, the government's incompetent on doing stuff. I Think that's a tad harsh. When the pandemic hit, uh, this government had CERB. it had Siba up and running. It, it was in comparison to other uh, G7 governments, in pretty good shape on uh, procurement and in uh, support for small business. So,
1: government can act; it
6: can get things done well. It did during this period of time. And I'm confident that we can get stuff done over the next two years.
1: Tom Parkin, when it comes to the dental care, it's going to be a modest start. They're going to cover children uh, to start with. Uh, we don't know exactly what they're doing on pharmacare, but you know it's something they've been talking about for years and, and not doing anything on.
7: Well, what's changed is that Jagmeet uh, Singh's NDP used their power to get results out of the Liberals that the Liberals really never would have delivered. We've got uh, people struggling with the affordability of everyday life. We've got out-of-pocket health care costs that are chipping into the ability to pay for essentials, uh, rents and house costs skyrocketing. And, and corporate profits are at 20-year high, but prices are going up everywhere. And, and, you know, so the Liberals and Conservatives, they voted against Pharmacare in the Commons just a few months ago. Uh, but now, Singh and the NDP got... The, the liberals to commit to this program which i think is great uh, for your listeners because for those who aren't covered by an employee an employer plan um you know this can be very expensive to people who need medications and now it means that people can get their medications free they don't have to cut their pills they don't have to take them you know on alternate days when they should be taking them every day same for dental a lot of working people have something in their contract but if you're a retiree or if you're in a contract job you know, it's very expensive to go to the dentist. And, um, you know, dentistry is, people can get absents, uh, ab- absences and literally die. Uh, so it can get very serious. Uh, and this is, again, uh, you know, a, a modest price program when we compare it to the massive amount of, of money that the Conservatives and Liberals are talking about putting into defense. This is a, something I think well done. And the
1: housing piece is obviously important. Well you know, uh, we've, we've again watched, the money watched. the money for defense is and we we've just seen leaks is less than on uh, the housing. John do you think that th- the measures we've seen leaked in the housing market are the right ones to do the trick they're banning foreign foreigners from owning residences here from buying homes here unless it's their primary residence i don't even know how you would enforce that
8: well, they'll, they'll come up with mechanisms, and B.C. has had some, and some luck with that. But what you're still talking about is only a two-year program and something that, uh, you know, with all due respect to the pandemic, this is not a problem that's that's jumped out overnight. This has been a growing problem for the last half-dozen years, and certainly under the entire time of the Liberal government. So it's, you know, it, it's an area that I think, again— uh, you know, uh, I think the estimates I've seen on the foreign ownership, it's going to affect 3% of the market. Well, that's great for that 3%, but as far as the other 97%, let's go back to what's going to calm things down there. And I think what you're going to see calming down is the fact that inflation may be on the verge of running out of control that the government may actually be fueling inflation. And while it's taking one step forward, it's going to be taking three steps back in the daily lives of the average
2: listener.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the total spending? Do you see that this is going to uh, fuel further inflation? I,
8: I think it has. Uh, it's really going to have no choice but to do that. The question is, does it have any of the other positive effects that it's trying to do? And I think what it's going to do is it's going to scare the markets. So it's part of the problem where the, the liberals are making choices that they think that that are mutually exclusive, right? So what we're not talking about is climate change today. What we're not talking about is oil production. And in the situation where we're on the verge of a world war, the reality would be, you know, all of our economic sanctions against Russia would be much more effective if we were able to help Europe by giving them clean, ethical oil and, uh, you know, taking care of the needs of Canada uh, while, while transitioning to a green economy. I don't think there's anybody who's against transitioning to a green economy, but there's also nobody with half a brain who thinks it's going to happen in the next year or five.
1: Uh, Bob, uh, speaking of the green economy, uh, the government authorized a big project yesterday, Bay du Nord, that has a lot of environmentalists unhappy, and people are saying, "Oh, the stuff in the budget is just to distract people."
6: Uh, I, I think this is a, I think it's a minor in comparison to the whole budget, to be quite frank. Uh, Libby, I'm in favor of it. I'm glad the uh, government is going ahead with this project and uh this government has actually gone ahead with a number of, of projects uh in uh in the oil and gas uh area including uh building a pipeline um so you know i think it's the government and quite frankly uh, we've never sold as much oil and gas uh in the history of this country uh than we are uh, than we are today so i think it's important to know that at the same time i actually agree with john we can't we can't uh we can't pretend that uh, oil and gas is going away uh, tomorrow i think the, we need pipelines uh we need to support that sector uh at the same time we need to modernize our economy we need to put a price on carbon uh and we need to expand uh, expand as much as we can on uh on other ways to uh to uh, heat our homes and uh you know and to, uh, to fuel our cars so i think so i think the government is striking the right balance. There will be a lot of people who will be unhappy. There'll be some people in business who will be unhappy that they don't get to do what they did in 1954 and continue to operate an economy that way. And there will be uh, environmentalists who would like to see everything shut down. And uh, the government is not going to satisfy either group. Uh, I think they're taking a balanced approach. And I think that's the way to move things forward.
1: You know, speaking of some things that might be uh, for show, there's going to be a tax on uh, businesses that they said made extraordinary profits during the pandemic. And I have to say, it made me chuckle that businesses with more than a billion in profits, like banks and insurance companies, because I remember the first time that banks made a billion dollars in profit. It was when I was a business reporter, and I believe it was in the 90s, but it was, it was probably more than 20 years ago. So, uh, you know, just to give an example, RBC made 4.1 billion. In a quarter, and uh, yeah. it wasn't extraordinary, John. So is is that? What do you make of that? They're getting a surtax.
8: Well, well, uh, I, I think this is the thin edge of the wedge, right? This is the problem with you know the liberal approach. They never met a tax that they didn't like uh, that they could get away with, and the first approach is going to be on big companies because certainly the NDP will be clapping for that um the fact that that you know raises the question of what does that do to dividends what does that do to stock values what does that do to people's retirement portfolios uh it could have uh, scary implications there so uh, you know the it, it's a it's an intricate economy that we have and what you know what liberals fail to do is step back and say does the tax do what it was intended to do and the you know I agree with Uh, Bob, on a price on carbon. There's a question of how, right? We are taxing Canadians and the Liberal government has a plan to tax Canadians almost out of their cars for the price of carbon on gasoline. And yet the number one source of carbon in the world, China, uh, doesn't have any of its imports hit with a climate tax because, you know, while while they're producing all those cheap goods with coal factories. Coal powered factories. And that's, that's where you get to sit back and say, you know, we're punishing Canadians when we're only 2% of the world's uh, carbon emissions. Uh, Great to lead by example, but we could also lead by example of saying, and maybe we're going to stop taking, you know, oil from unethical countries. And maybe we're going to put a huge surtax on any country that produces their goods in a carbon in a carbon-irresponsible uh, way.
1: Okay, uh, I'm looking at the clock. We have to wrap this up right now. Uh, we'll all find out if all the leaks and predictions are coming true uh, when it comes down at 4 o'clock today, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week. Thanks so much, Tom Parkin, John Mcetitian and Bob Richardson. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. Okay. Uh, we're taking a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Phil Soper of Royal LePage, and we are going to talk about that centerpiece of the budget, $10 billion apparently towards housing. Are these the right measures? When we come back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. As we have been reporting based on leaked information, housing is supposed to be the biggest ticket item in the budget with $10 billion put beside that item. So are the things that the government is planning the right way to go in order to to ease up the market and to make it more affordable for people. Let us bring in Phil Soper, CEO of Royal LePage. Hi, Phil.
5: Hey, Libby, how are
1: you? Fine, thank you for joining us. So uh, I'm looking at these measures and of course the most eye-popping one is that uh, they're going to impose an actual ban on foreign buyers. Unless it's a primary residence, so is that the right way to go? And will it do a lot of good? According to my numbers in Ontario, that's something like two point two percent of the market.
5: Yeah, you know what? And there and there are exemptions. Uh, so you mentioned the one, the primary re- residence exemption. Uh, the other is uh, for students, uh, potentially people who are planning uh, to become Canadians. They will be exempt. So the number is probably quite a bit lower than that 2%. And direct answer to your question, no, it won't have a material impact on the market. Uh, We've we've seen prices escalate uh, rapidly during the pandemic when foreign uh, purchases of property in Canada was basically shut down, uh, fundamentally down to almost zero. So this is a domestic issue. It's it's not going to be solved by uh, pointing the finger at people from abroad.
1: And so, what do you think? Is this just uh, to make them look like they're doing something, or what?
5: It is. Uh, it's, uh, and it's not just federal government, provincial governments. Uh, BC, uh, British Columbia, being the most uh, prominent, but others as well have uh, long uh, used uh, tax measures or other forms, uh, making it difficult uh, for. Uh, non-canadians to uh, invest or purchase uh, property in Canada uh, for the headlines there on it's it's i it's frustrating sometimes when uh, people spout off statistics that they they don't know you know the reason prices go up in Vancouver is because uh, the chinese are buying up all the properties when even at the peak in the middle of the last decade uh it was in 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 the most prominent neighborhoods in, in uh, Greater Vancouver, it never reached double digits. So it's always a small portion of the market. And people forget that Canadians are the largest purchasers of uh, uh, foreign purchasers of property in the United States. There's some 3 million Canadians owned properties south of the border. So uh, you know, we've got to be careful with this, but it's not a material element in this uh, particular budget package.
1: Okay. Well, they the liberals say they're going to spend four billion to build a hundred thousand new homes in urban areas by twenty twenty five, with more than half of that going for low cost and co op housing. Is that realistic? Is that going to get done?
5: That's uh, you've hit the nail on the head. That the challenge there it's it's a laudable goal. Uh, I think many of the items that have been laid out uh, by the minister. Are important and the challenge will be at actually executing on these programs. Uh, if you uh, put these together with the um, elements in uh, provincial government plans to help speed the construction of new housing, because we do have a, a critical housing shortage in this country, uh, we could make a real dent. We could, we could. Uh, slow the rise of home prices, and more importantly, actually create homes that people can move into, because that's part of the problem. People just literally don't have the homes to move into right now. So yeah, I think it's a good idea. Whether it gets done or not will be the the true measure of success.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, they're creating tax-free savings accounts for first-time buyers to save up to $40,000 uh to be used for purchasing a home. I mean, I remember when my husband and I purchased our first home a long time ago, we used something like that, where you could use part of your RSP as a down payment. But, you know, I'm looking at $40,000. 1st of all, for a lot of people, that's a challenging sum. And Absolutely. when you're looking at, you know, a house that is not that great, being over a million dollars that that's uh that's that's not a down payment
5: (laughs) yeah yeah listen it's it it could help uh and i i applaud any effort to help young people achieve their dream of home ownership but roller page research points to 92 percent of millennials would like to own their home and we'll never reach that number but it would sure be nice if, if uh, as many millennials were able to purchase their homes as as baby boomers were in that seventy percent range, and so you know, good for the government for looking in this direction. The challenge is we've already got a program that you pointed out where you can pull thirty five thousand dollars out of an RSP tax free to buy a home in the Home Buyers Plan that's been around a long time and it was recently bumped up. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, only a few people relative to the number of young people buying homes in the country actually take advantage uh, fully of that 35,000. So adding another 40,000 into the mix, will it help? Yeah, but it's only going to help a small number of people, yet it will help. So I I have nothing Bad to say about it, but it's not the solution. The solution is fix the, the housing shortage crisis.
1: Well, yes, yeah, so we don't have a lot of time left, so how do they do it? You're uh, an expert. What would you do? It, it's process
5: and taxes. Uh, the the Ontario government actually has laid out, or the, or the blue chip panel that uh, put recommendations in front of the Ontario government specifically, laid out. A number of steps that could be taken but you know it can take a decade for for a developer to move from idea through all the loopholes or or all the the approval process and the objections from uh, local neighborhoods and and to finally handing the keys over to someone 10 years that uh, introduces so much risk that people build in small amounts to mitigate the risk so so that's where the focus has to be, making it less costly and faster to go from idea to, to completion of a home to give a family their keys.
1: I have a very quick question. We only have about a minute left. What the sure. young people bidding on houses say they really need is to outlaw blind bidding because we see these crazy bidding wars, uh, houses going for Tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking. Uh, what about that?
5: In the industry, we have no issue with changing the way we uh, manage the brokerage process. We offer uh, auction-style processes to date, which is the alternative. It's not how the homes are are bought and sold that's causing the problem. It's the number of homes available for sale versus. The number of people looking for housing, the brokerage process is is just the the tail; it's not the dog.
1: So you would have no objection in the industry to say None no more whatsoever. blind bidding. Uh, let everybody see what they're bidding against.
5: Exactly. There's there's no issues. I talked to the CEO of the Canadian Real Estate Association. We don't have any issues in the industry. But remember, it's a seller of homes. That dictate how they want their home to be sold. So we're we're a service provider to those uh, to those clients. So it, it starts with the seventy percent of Canadians that own homes who say, mm, I'm not interested in that process. Yeah, but if if it's if not it, that, it's not available.
1: If if it's we don't like. Yeah, but it, who would who would make a law? Is that a provincial law?
5: Uh, yeah, uh, real estate is is managed in each province by uh, legislation. So it would have to be implemented uh, province by province.
1: Hmm. Okay, something to think about. That's interesting information. Phil Soper, we will watch to see what is actually unveiled today. In the meantime, thank you so much for that.
5: My pleasure.
1: Bye-bye. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Listen later in the afternoon for full budget coverage. You'll see exactly what you're getting. And of course, tomorrow we have free-for-all Friday, so you can call back and let us know what you think about it. That's all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.